early on in this crisis that we're facing, I was watching television, tuned into my favorite daytime soap opera. No, no, that wasn't it. I was watching Governor Pritzker on the screen because I wanted to know what the latest update on on things was and how it was going to affect our church and our church's life. And as I did, I was getting a lot of good information, but I happened to think, I wonder what it would be like if God held a news conference. If God decided to tell us what he thinks we need to know during this crisis, and what would we hear from the voice of God? What would a heavenly news conference look like? What would it sound like? And I decided from my knowledge of scriptures that were valuable in my life, that the words of the 91st Psalm would likely be what God would say to us right now in this time of crisis that we need to hear for his glory. The psalm starts, remember, with a divine principle. A divine principle is an idea that never changes. There are a lot of ideas that are locked into a particular time and place in life, aren't they? Okay, like a um, you probably thought you had to have that pair of shoes, they look great. And now 30 years later, they're sitting in your closet and going, who wore those? Oh yeah, that's right, those were mine. <laughs> Styles change, times change, situations change, for sure. God's word does not change. And here's the divine principle from Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Have you run into some people this week who are resting in the midst of the virus's assault? You probably ran into more who were preaching out. But the truth is that if our faith in God is real and built upon what he's promised us, then we should be resting while everybody else is freaking the divine principle in modern English looks like this. God always takes responsibility for those who belong to him. You belong to God. Have you started a relationship with God through the offering that he has given in his son Jesus Christ? If you have, then you are his child. And as his child, you can know this. God takes responsibility for you. That means... He's going to take good care of you, or he's going to look bad. His, his reputation is on the line when it comes to you. And you can be certain of this. God always takes full responsibility for those who belong to him, who live in his presence. But there is, attached to this in verse 2, a process. A process attached to a principle. In other words, a role that we have to play that you have to play. God will always be faithful regarding his part. What about our part? Verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He is my fortress. My God in whom I trust. Did you notice the usage by the psalmist of the word my? Mine. <laughs> Something that you learned to say when you were a little child. That belongs to me. 
And God is saying, instead of clinging to things that will pass away, you need to cling to me. You need to say, God is not only a refuge, he is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God. And I'll trust him. The only condition in this matter is that we have to vow or promise to sincerely put our whole trust in him. That's why the second verse says, I will say. Okay? Uh, every day, good idea when you wake up in the morning, to say, not because God needs to hear it, because you need to say it. God, here I am. I belong to you. This day is yours. I am yours. Have your way. Do your will. I will rest in you. Well, that brings us today to the rest of the song. And in the rest of the song, lots of details regarding what you can count on God to do for you. But let's be clear about this. Verses 3 through 13 and 14 through 16 only apply to people who have taken the first step to put their trust in God. If you decide, you know, I'd rather call the shots in my own life, do things the way I'm used to doing them, well, that's fine, but you need to know that you are now responsible for your own life. <laughs> and that's a pretty awesome responsibility, isn't it? God invites you to let him take responsibility for you. And here's what he says. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. For a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. In other words, people who say, I can handle my own life, well, God lets them be on their own. And if you stand back, you'll see some people suffering under that decision to handle life on their own, but not you. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, then no harm will overtake. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Is that just the big thing? Well, the next verse tells us no. They will lift you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You know what it means to strike your foot against a stone? To stub your toe. God notices when you do the slightest little thing that injures you, and he's there to care for you. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. The moment we make this pledge to put our whole trust in God as our refuge, as our fortress, we can begin to rest to experience peace. Pam, what was it that uh, uh, Rogers said, Pastor? 
You don't remember? He was being interviewed, and they were going, oh, you lost two linemen. And he goes, relax. Yeah, that's not a Packer mantra. That's a child of God mantra, right? Relax. What are you stressing about? What are you worrying about? God is in control. Rest in his amazing power to protect and deliver. God loves to show up. That's what his glory is all about. He wants people to see who he is and who they are in him. And one of the things that God does that's amazing, in fact, it's so amazing that he actually named his son this, is he loves to save and deliver. Right? Jesus, Yeshua, in Hebrew means deliverer, savior. The angel told Jesus' parents, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save their people from their sins. God sometimes lets us get into trouble. Lets us be in threatening circumstances just so he can show up by delivering us from out of the circumstances. If we respond with fear and terror at the circumstances, how are we different from those who have no God? We aren't. Did you pick up on those verses, on some of the words that seemed like they were taken out of the headlines of the paper? Twice the word pestilence. That's a Bible word. I looked it up in the dictionary. It says, a contagious or infectious epidemic disease that spreads quickly and has devastating effects. Does that sound familiar? Another word was the word plague. The word plague, an epidemic disease causing a high rate of mortality. You know what? I don't know about you, but if you would have told me a year ago that we would be going through this kind of thing, that we would have to be meeting with you online, that we'd have to be wearing masks most of the day, gloves, not standing in line waiting to get into Walmart, watching Cup games from 2016, as hard as that has been for me to swallow, that's all there is on television, I would have said, you're crazy in another world, maybe during the tribulation. I hope to be gone during that. Maybe then, but not now. But we are. That caught us by surprise. You think it caught God by surprise? That's a human experience. We set up expectations, and then rarely does life work out exactly like we planned. We're surprised. God is never surprised or taken back. And so the psalmist says, he will save you from the fowler's snare. How many of you have been threatened lately by a fowler's snare? I one time had a drummer in a band who threatened me with a fowler's snare, I think. But other than that, no. Well, it, it simply means in ancient language, a hunter's trap. A hunter's trap. I want you to know today that this pandemic we're in is not our enemy. That's not the trap. It's simply a common experience for inhabitants of a fallen planet. Everybody knows that. Throughout all of human history, with the exception of the very earliest days, we've lived in, lived in a world under the authority of sin. 
Our ancestors chose rebellion against God, and the world started falling apart from that very moment. The presence of viruses and other things like that are simply evidence of that fact. We, God's redeemed, live here until we'll be delivered out of it into heaven, but we have to go through the same kinds of threatening situations as everybody else. So what's our enemy? If the pandemic isn't our enemy, then what is our enemy? Well, I'm glad you asked. The enemy we really face is our reaction to the pandemic. Because, frankly, my reaction to scary things is generally one of two kinds, and they are both born, both born out of my sin nature. When I'm in a threatening situation, I'm not really scared by the pandemic, at least right now, so let me use something that I would be scared, like a bill that shows up at my house that is bigger than I expected, right? Or diagnosis for somebody I love that seems like is going to end in their death. Something like that. And immediately, my reactions in my old sin nature are not glorified to God. I have forgotten that God is my refuge and my fortress. So what are our reactions to such things? They're one of two. First of all, fear. Fear is a common one. Oh no, the virus is going to get me. I better go hide in a corner and uh, stay away from everybody and um, not go to the store and not go to church and probably not even, do you think that virus can go over the internet? It might be able to, you never know, okay? And as crazy as some of those things sound, I've heard people talk in all those ways. Listen to the words of Jesus. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in bonds, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? This pandemic we face is pretty invisible, isn't it? I think most of us know, don't we, to stay away from people who are coughing and sneezing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> because they might get some of that on you, and why aren't they coughing and sneezing? But we're told, aren't we, that some of the virus might be carried by people who are asymptomatic. They look perfectly healthy. The virus is invisible. Pretty scary, isn't it? But Jesus says, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? In other words, you might be all masked up, have your gloves on, right? Wipe down your entire car, <laughs> walk out to the parking lot, and some trucker drives you over, right? And you're gone. Frightening things, threatening things are out there everywhere. The answer is not to live fearfully. Now, I have a feeling that as I covered that point, at least some of you listening thought, that's right, I can't stand those people. They drive me crazy. You probably have the other response. 
If we don't respond with fear, sometimes we respond with pride. I'll be fine, that won't happen to me. I live in America. They can't tell me where to go and what to do and what to wear. Have you heard any of that? Okay. If not, I'll share some of my text messages from church members with you. Okay. Listen to what James says. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Indeed, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. I don't recommend hungering down in your terror, nor do I recommend forming a protest. Both are really bad ideas. What does God recommend? Relax. Rest. Trust in me. Put on your mask. Put on your gloves. Do what the governor says and trust God with the results. He's able to take care of you. He's able to protect you. Our fear, nor our arrogance, will ever accomplish anything for God. And so the psalm closes with a series of promises. Remarkable promises indeed. I love to read these, and when I read them, I plug my name in. You'll notice when you hear these promises that they use the male pronoun. You need to understand that's because God is talking here to David or David and Solomon, depending upon the commentator. And they're both men, so he uses the male pronoun. You can easily change every he to she here without doing any damage to the scripture. But you can do something better than that. Here's what I do. I put my name in there. Listen to these words. Because David loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. We have some remarkable promises in God's word. Irrevocable, unchanging, steady as a rock promises. Think of these promises at the end of the 91st Psalm like a document sent from heaven. Okay? And at the bottom of signature, it's written in the very handwriting of God. You have my word on these promises. An offer with unfailing, irrevocable benefits based on the solemn word of God. Somebody ever make a promise to you and you just let it go? Because you thought, and I, I know them, they can't really be trusted. But there are probably other people that make a promise to you and you go like, you'll do that for me? 
Because you know if they say it, they're going to do it. Even to the point of it costing their own lives, they're going to keep their word. Well, if that's true of some human being, you know, that's certainly true of God. I will rescue him, says God. Rescue means to be free from imminent danger by prompt or vigorous action. More than one occasion in the scriptures, God promises to respond immediately to our needs. And sometimes we may weigh that and go, I don't know. Because you probably notice that God is not in a hurry. <laughs> you may ask for something all of your life and it may take right to the end of your life before you actually get it. Because God's timing is perfect. Our timing, not so much. Because what is our timing? I want it right now. Right? And God's ways are perfect. But you can know this. God is never late. He will always rescue right on time. I will protect. Protect means to cover or shield from injury or destruction. Who needs to be protected? Who needs a shield, a rampart, a fortress, a refuge? People who are under assault. If it's a nice sunny day, nothing's going on. You don't need a raincoat or an umbrella. You need those things for when the heavens open up and start pouring on you. So it is for people in trouble. That is, living on a fallen earth, but you belong to the eternal God. He says, I'm not going to deliver you out of the earth right now, but I'm going to protect you in the midst of your experience. I'm going to keep you safe and in my will. I will honor him, he says. Amazing, isn't it? That we are that important to God? <laughs> we are. Sometimes it seems to indicate that we're more important to God than he is to us. He's not going to let us slip through the cracks. He's not going to let us be destroyed by a virus unless... The Bible says it's going to release us from this world and send us up to heaven because our time has come. If God still has plans for additional days and years in your life, the virus isn't going to get you. My grandma used to say, I love when a preacher says that. This is not the word of God, but this is my grandma. My grandma used to say, if you're born to drown, you'll never hang. <laughs> and that means... Yeah, someday you're going to leave this earth, and it may be by the virus, or it may be by something else, but you can know this, if you belong to God and put your trust in Him, it won't be one minute before the last breath ordained for your life to be lived. I will honor Him. I will satisfy Him. That's interesting, isn't it? Because typically, even those who have walked with the Lord for a long time think that God sometimes likes to withhold things from us to perfect us, right? But he's saying, I know, anything I withhold from you is because it's not good for you. It's like telling a child who wants one more piece of candy before they go to bed, that's enough. God's done that to me. I suspect he's probably done it to you as well. But, says God, I will satisfy you. I'll give you that which really satisfies. Because what happens to those kids? Well, then later in life, they recognize that was probably a good thing my parent did to me. 
And then later in life, they have children of their own, and they do the same thing with their children <laughs> that they hated when their parent did it to them. So God sometimes withholds, but never satisfaction. His goal is to satisfy us, to give us everything we need. So as we close today, a couple of questions. How have you seen God at work in honesty during this time to keep you safe? Have you noticed it? If not, how about a prayer that says, God, help my eyes to be open this week at all the ways that you're keeping me safe. And second, how has your reaction to the crisis revealed your faith in God? I remember one time hearing a sermon by Dr. Stuart Grisco, uh, who was a real effective preacher and author at the time, and I had a Sunday off, so I went up to Milwaukee, where he was a pastor, to hear him preach. And he was a great illustrator, and when it came time for him to preach, he took several links of sausage, you know, how they're connected with the skins like this, and laid them across the pulpit. And he said, today we're going to talk about what's inside of you. You ever wonder what's inside of a sausage? He said. And then he reached down underneath and took a big hammer and smashed the, the sausage. Sausage went spewing over the first three rows of pews all over people. And he said, you'll never wonder again what's inside a sausage. What's inside of you? He said. When the hammer of light comes down, you may say, well, I'm this way, I'm that way, I believe this, I think this. When the hammer of life comes down, we'll soon find out what's inside of you. So what's in there? Fear on the one hand, pride and arrogance on the other. If that's what was revealed, give it to God, crucify it, and ask him to build real faith in you, faith in a God who promises to take care. Last week, we introduced Reinhold Niebuhr's famous prayer as a great way to conclude this series, and so I'm going to invite you to pray it again with me, if you would. Let's pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, that I may be reasonably happy and really happy with you forever in the next. 